Our reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 21, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 21, on page 77. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 21, on page 77. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Thank you very much, Ms. Continue our tour through the Bible in a year today, and we're looking at the subject of the law, the law. Let's pray, and uh, we'll then get into it together. The Apostle John wrote, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Our Father, we pray for your help this morning as we look at this uh, subject of your law, and uh, we pray that we might see the grace in it, but we pray that we might then see the surpassing grace that we find in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
accusations of sexual abuse have dominated our news media once again this week. I was reading a, an article uh, which was really making the, the point um, that the culture that grew up in the noughties really enabled the kind of things that we are seeing around us and enabled uh, predators uh, such as Russell Brand to act in the way that they did. And up until the Me Too movement, the kind of behavior that's been displayed and we've, we've been sort of uh, told about was perfectly permissible, she wrote. Uh, the, the author makes the point, sexual abuse was illegal then, as it is now, but the law wasn't enough. Culture pervades into police stations and law courts and the media reaction to public accusations. See, if the culture is rotten, then the law isn't enough. That's her point. Uh, and this is true today, just as it was true back uh, then for Old Testament Israel. The Lord spoke ten commandments from Mount Sinai, accompanied by thunder and smoke and lightning and fire and earthquake. And the people were terrified, but it wasn't enough. And the history of Israel demonstrates that clearly as they broke commandment after commandment, day after day, year after year. And so it raises the question, why then did God give the law at all? Why did he bother giving the law? What was God's purpose in giving the law? Now, before we get into the answers to that, I just want to give two wrong answers to that, two wrong reasons. The first wrong reason is this, that God didn't give the law because he's a cosmic spoil sport. Now, we know that um, we see his goodness in, in the Bible itself, but we kind of know that from experience as well. We know, obviously, that rules can be a good thing. Think of uh, sport as one example. They enable us to enjoy uh, a game without descending into a punch-up. And rules like don't murder, steal, or lie, when we think about them, they are actually good laws, aren't they? They are beneficial for society as long as people follow them. God's law is given in order to bless us and not to curb our fun. Secondly, God didn't give the law as a ladder for us to climb up to heaven. We can see that right from the very start of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. God gave his law to his redeemed people, people whom he had already redeemed from slavery in Egypt. See, God wasn't saying, I'm giving you these commandments so that by keeping them you may become my people. He was saying, I'm giving you these commandments because you are already my people. God's message to us today isn't that we must keep these laws in order to be saved, but rather that because we are saved, we should keep these laws. The law tells us how people who belong to God ought to live. Now, this actually matters because some people think that 
In the Old Testament, God tried to save people by getting them to obey his law. That didn't work, so God went to a better plan, salvation through Jesus, in the New Testament. Now, that is a gigantic misunderstanding. God has one plan, always has one plan to save people by grace, and you find it in the New Testament, and you find that same plan also in the Old Testament. It comes as quite as a surprise to most people to see that the Ten Commandments begin with the gospel. They begin with good news. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, Exodus 20, verse 2. So two reasons, wrong reasons for God giving his law. God didn't give his law because he's a killjoy, nor as a ladder to heaven. So why did he give his law? Well, here are our three reasons this morning. As a light... As a flashlight, I know we call it a torch, it doesn't quite work. Light, a flashlight, and as a spotlight. First of all then, the law is a light on God, a light on God. See, if the law comes from God, then it must reflect his divine character. And this is uh, true of laws in general. To give the sort of classic classroom rule, always listen to the teacher... It reflects something of the teacher's character, probably that they're a control freak, or maybe that they love their kids and want them to learn well. The point is, rules reflect the character of the rule giver. And every single one of these Ten Commandments shines a light on some aspect of God's character. Let me run through them. Commandment 1. You shall have no other gods before me. It shows us that God is unique, that there is no one like him, that he alone deserves our worship. Two, you shall not make for yourself any images. It shows us that God is a jealous God, that he is jealous that he is not misrepresented, not only that we should worship him, but that we should worship him in the right way. Any attempt to represent him physically is necessarily going to distort his true nature. Commandment three, you must not misuse the name of the Lord because God is holy, exalted above his creation, worthy of respect and honor and obedience. Four, remember the Sabbath day because God is sovereign over our life. He has the right to determine our, even our work-rest balance. These first four commandments all tell us something about God and our relationship to him. Commandments 6 to 10, well, they govern our relationship to one another. But they also shine a light on God's character. Honor your fa- father and mother, commandment 5. Well, because God is a father to mankind and he stands in the place of ultimate authority over us. You shall not murder because all life comes from God and all life belongs to God. You shall not commit adultery because God is pure 
and faithful. Commandment 8, you shall not steal because everything belongs to God, our creator and provider who gives to, who, to whomever he chooses. You shall not give false testimony, number nine, because God is truth and never lies. Commandment 10, you shall not covet because God is a God who is everywhere and sees everything, not only our actions, but also our hearts. So then, each of these Ten Commandments shines a light on God's character. And, and we can add to that as well his, his attributes, his perfection of love. And we've already had it quoted in our, our prayers. When our Lord summarized God's law, he did it under two headings. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Commandments 1 to 4. Commandments 6 to 10. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then the first reason God gave his law to us was to shine a light on his character. He is unique, jealous, just, holy, sovereign. He is life. He is faithful. He is true. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere, and he is abounding in love. God wanted Israel, and he wants us, his church, to know what he is like. God has said to us, and you can read it in Exodus 19 and then again in 1 Peter, that we are his treasured possession. And he wants us to represent him to the world, to be a kingdom of priests. But in order for us to do that, we need to be a holy nation. Put differently, God wants us to be like him. And to be like him, we need to know what he is like. That's the first reason that God gives us his law, so that we know what he is like. It leaves open the question, of course, of our obedience to that law. But the Ten Commandments are not arbitrary rules. They are a perfect expression of God's glorious character, a light on his character. And secondly, a flashlight on mankind. A flashlight on mankind. Flashlight, of course, exposes things. It shines into the darkness and it, it reveals what's hidden. So when we let the Ten Commandments shine onto us, they expose us right down to the core. Now on first reading, I don't know what you thought, but these commands are, are pretty simple. Simple to understand. Seemingly simple to obey. No murder, tick. No adultery, tick. No coveting oxen, another tick. But things aren't actually quite so simple. See, the minimalist approach to interpretation is the mistake of the Pharisees. To interpret the commands rightly, we need to interpret them not minimally, but maximally. 
That's actually how the rest of the Bible treats them. The minimalist hasn't understood the full reach of the commandments. So the tenth commandment on coveting. Well, that flags for us that the commandments have an inward as well as an outward dimension. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate interpreter of Scripture, in his astonishing Sermon on the Mount, made this pretty clear. He said that anger or hatred, well, that's like murder. And that lust is like adultery. Jesus taught that the commands bind our hands, but but also our hearts, our actions, and our affections. The law, said Paul, is spiritual. It is inward as well as outward. There was a tribal chief who um, realized this, and um, he had in his tribe 7,777 laws and rules. And he said he would much prefer to have them than the Ten Commandments because his 7,777 rules leave loads of room for freedom. But the Ten Commandments demand the whole heart. So notice the inner demands of the law. Then notice that the the law, the commandments, are two-sided in their nature. See, if it forbids one thing, it commands the opposite. And if it commands one thing, then it forbids the opposite. It's, they're two-sided. Actually, the, the chapters that follow Exodus 20 begin to sort of unpack and show us some of these opposite duties. Honour your father and mother means that we should positively honour them. But it also means that we should never dishonour them, obviously. Not murdering, though, means we should preserve life. We haven't kept the Eighth Commandment if we don't shoplift, unless we also act generously from a spirit of generosity, do you see? So rightly interpreting the commandments means recognizing their inward reach and their two-sidedness. And uh, as soon as we start doing that, we begin to sort of shift rather uncomfortably. But we also need to factor in that each commandment stands for a category of sins. The commandment on adultery forbids all sexual sin. Honoring father and mother Well, that includes respect for all authority figures, legitimate ones, whether that's teachers, police, government, whoever. Now we need to factor in those things that also lead to breaking the other commandments. So you might think, well, drunkenness isn't mentioned here, so that's fine, right? No. Not only is drunkenness a form of self-harm, which violates the sixth commandment not to murder. But it also often fosters lies and hatred and lustful thoughts. So commands seven and nine as well as six. And there's a further factor. Love. 
love demands that we help each other to obey the commandments as well. It's not just about us, it's about helping those around us to obey them. See, if God gave the commands to be a blessing to us, to our church, to our society, then we are obligated to help other people obey them as well. So then on first reading, the law seems relatively simple. On closer reading, not so much. This week I was watching a documentary about freediving. It's uh, pretty extreme to say the least. The idea is that you, fairly obviously, dive down um, as deep as possible with one breath and see if you can make it back up to the surface without blacking out. Some people go down over 100 metres. The bit that fascinated me about the documentary was that when you start off, you kind of have to, you have to swim, and we all know this from the sea and the swimming pool, <laughs> but at around 30 metres, you, because of the pressure around you, you just go down, uh, we go into free fall, and you fall like a stone deeper and deeper into the, into the darkness. That's how we feel when we come to the Ten Commandments and understand what they are really demanding of us. Deeper and deeper we go into the darkness, we begin to fall. Another way of saying that is that the law is like a flashlight which exposes our hidden darkness and rebellion against God. And that's the second reason God gave the law. Not only as a light on his character, but as a flashlight that shines into and exposes our hearts and character. So is it that God wants us to sort of plunge into despair? No, God is good. He gives us the law for a third and ultimate reason, which is to shine the spotlight on his wonderful son. So that having seen our darkness, we might turn and gaze into his wonderful face. Thirdly, the law has given us a spotlight on Christ. And it shines its spotlight in, on Christ in, in three particular ways. It shines the spotlight on Christ's perfect obedience. Christ was born under the law. He fulfilled all righteousness and committed no sin. And from what we've seen, that was no small accomplishment, was it? The law is utterly exhaustive in its demands. We are incapable of keeping even one of those commandments. Jesus kept them all, down to the last detail. Just wow, just wow. And what is yet more astonishing is that he offers us his perfect obedience and righteousness, us, lawbreakers. You know when you put your rubbish in the bin and then you... You see a sort of van pull up on the, on the side of the road and they sort of chuck their rubbish out. How does your heart respond to that? You condemn them, don't you? 
Or if there's a queue and, and somebody, you're standing there in the queue and somebody cuts in front of you, what does your heart, how does it respond? Again, don't you condemn them? They are worthy of death, you think. How does Christ's heart respond to us when he sees that we have broken every single law in the book? He offers us his righteousness. He offers to clothe us in his grace. He offers to give us the status of somebody who has perfectly kept the law. The loveliness of Christ's heart overflows to us with grace and compassion. But that is something we need to receive. Let's make sure we have received it. Have we received his perfect obedience for ourselves? If not, why not? And if we have, that our confidence to come to God, though we know we are guilty lawbreakers, should be growing. The law spotlights Christ's perfect obedience and also his perfect atonement. Christ died on the cross for sin. If we have a narrow understanding of the Ten Commandments, we might think that Christ didn't really have to die for much. We didn't have many sins to die for. Yeah, we might have pilfered a bit of pick and mix, but that's about it. But a full interpretation of the Ten Commandments, well, it shines a flashlight onto our darkness and thus a spotlight onto the full extent of his atoning death. Because Christ died for all our sins. He died for our sins against God and our sins against each other. He died for our, our, he died for our idolatry and profanity, our murder and adultery. He died for our sins of hand and our sins of heart. He died for the things we have done and the things we have failed to do. He died for our sin of neglecting to help others away from sin. Christ died for all our sins, every one of them, suffering the full penalty we deserved and making atonement on our behalf. The more the law shines its flashlight onto us, the more it spotlights Christ's extraordinary work on our behalf. There is a great exchange that we can receive by faith in Jesus Christ. He offers us his perfect law-keeping. And he offers to take the penalty for our law-breaking. The law, in that way, spotlights Christ's perfect obedience, his perfect atonement, and finally, his perfect power for us who believe. We do not live in the, albeit glorious, shadow of Mount Sinai. That's not where we live. We're not under the old covenant anymore. We are not under the law of Moses. The clock of salvation history has moved on. Something more glorious has come. Something of surpassing glory. Eclipsing the glory of the old covenant. Christ has come. And the Spirit of Christ has come. And so we are now people of the new covenant. 
Does that mean we abandon law-keeping? Of course not. But now we have the power to keep Christ's law. The great problem with the law is not the law. The law is holy and righteous and good. How could it be otherwise? Because the law is a light on God himself. The problem with the law is with us. We are the problem. And so the law by itself isn't enough. By nature we have neither the inclination nor the power to obey as we see around us everywhere. But the Spirit changes all that. How does he do that? Well, he does it by bringing us face to face with Christ himself. Christ is the key to our transformation, you see. The more we look at Jesus Christ, the more we will be transformed. How could it be otherwise? Look on the obedience of Christ and you begin to hate sin and love righteousness. Look on the perfect atoning work of Christ, satisfying God's justice on our behalf, and we become holy like Christ. Look on the love of Christ for us, and we become like Christ, loving. And love, by love, we begin to fulfill the law. That may seem a little theoretical, but maybe an illustration will help, and I'll close with this. It's an illustration of how Christ empowers law-keeping by turning every commandment, every command, into a promise. In his uh, commentary, Charles Price speaks of a man who was doing time for theft. While he was there in prison, a visitor came in and uh, shared the good news of Christ with him, and he believed. That'll encourage those of you who are involved in that ministry. After his release, he decided to attend a church service. And when he went in, he, he sat down and looked up, and he was confronted by the Ten Commandments, as they appear in many churches. And he read the words, You shall not steal, and felt condemned. As the service went on, he, he kept uh, glancing up at those commandments and feeling condemned and thinking, well, this is just the very last thing I need. But as he kept looking at the commandments, they started taking on a new meaning for him. Previously, he had read the words in the tone of a command, you shall not steal. But now it seemed that Christ was speaking these words to him as a promise, you shall not steal. Through Christ, you see, he knew that he was no longer under the law. The commandment that condemned was now transformed into a promise. Fellow believers, you shall have no other gods before me is now a promise. As you look on Christ, you will begin to love God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. You shall not hate or anger is also a promise. 
the more you see Christ loved you and hated sin, the less you will seethe with contempt or fly off the handle with rage. You shall not lust. Another promise. The more you gaze on Christ and the loveliness of his heart, the more you will hate and shun the faithless sins of your own heart. God gave us his law as his gracious gift. It shines a light on God's perfect character. It shines a flashlight exposing our sinful character. And by so doing, it shines a spotlight on our Lord Jesus Christ so that we might look into his, full into his wonderful face and find little by little and bit by bit that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Amen.